My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Remember Friday when we were all excited about Merck's new COVID drug? That night I told you this market has the memory of a monarch butterfly. So be careful. I was too generous. Monarch butterflies at least know how to find their way to southern Mexico before they die. This market's more like a lanternfly. It eats your money, and it looks like investors sense their duty, and their duty is to kill it. That's how I felt today with the Dow losing 324 points, S&P sinking 1.3%, but the Nasdaq tumbling 2.14%, where all the damage was. Now, here's a point worth remembering, though. As we go lower, the easier it is to go bargain hunting. But, of course, you still need to be careful. So what made this market so tough today? First, it's been so easy to make money in stocks for so long that lots of people forgot how to handle a sell-off. And there's lots of new investors suddenly who went out before they give up their gains. We forgot that there's a downside to the increasing democratization of the stock market we hear about all the time. Or to put it another way, democratization is an accelerant. When stocks are going higher, it's fabulous. The new investors are thrilled. They endlessly buy the dips or borrow money to do so, buy call options, because dip buying always seems to work. But when stocks go down and then don't bounce, well, that's another story. These people are now learning that a decline isn't necessarily a viable dip. It can be a draconian punishment that wipes out traders who bought stocks on margin or bought calls, expecting an imminent bounce. For nearly a year and a half, we had a raging bull market. It taught new investors that only idiots sell. Whenever I preach about taking some profits, standard practice for my travel trust, I meet younger investors who school me about how foolish profit-taking could be. I'd explain that I simply didn't want people to give back gains. There's nothing worse than turning game to a loss. But they told me I was too old to to listen to, that I didn't understand the movement, that it was time for me to retire. I heard that endlessly. Nobody wanted to hear about the virtues of profit-taking or the need for discipline, making it so that you have some money left if the market goes down. We had a new market, they told me, a better market. My old ways were making it harder for people to try to make money. I was keeping people in their chains. Now, I practically begged people to realize that this was not a new market. It was the same old market, and eventually there'd be a reckoning because, well, there's always a reckoning. I even gave you a time frame. Historically, the market tends to swoon in the second half of September, and that weakness carries into the first couple of weeks of October. And that's why Larry Williams, the greatest technician of our time, told us the smart move was to sell around September 17th. Sure, you could see temporary blips up like we had last Friday. Do you know what? I expect another this week now that we're down 7.5% on the NASDAQ. That's right, 7.5% from the high. That's a pretty decent-sized decline. But I bet we don't find an investable level until later this month. That's what history tells us. This negative quote wasn't rocket science, although maybe we need a new term now that even William Shatner's flying rockets these days. Uh, real ones. It was simply a function of how the markets typically performed during this period of the calendar for the last 23 years. That's right, 23 years. Of course, these new investors would have none of it. They assumed I was operating in bad faith, trying to keep them from making money. That one really did take me by surprise. I've managed money and been writing about it for 40 years, uh, with the latest being the CNBC Investor Club. My goal has always been the same. I'm trying to help you make the most amount of money with the least amount of risk. I don't want your money. I don't 
and take your money. I don't want it. I want you to get rich carefully. Right now, there remains plenty of risk, although with the Nasdaq bruised and the overall market down 5% from the highs, I'm not trying to tell you, oh, oh, here comes the sell-off. We can start looking for buying opportunities on the way down, but we have to buy stocks gradually on the way down because if you just jump in on every dip, well, then you're going to get slaughtered. Beyond the disillusioned dip buyers, we've got a second problem, the seemingly endless oil rally. Now, for the longest time, the bull market in oil was a terrific sign of strength. We didn't have to worry about economic weakness if we saw the price of crude going higher. But this is one of those practical jokes that the market plays on us. Higher oil is great for the stock market as long as it doesn't go too high, at which point it drags down everything. And with oil now at $77 a barrel, that's too high. It means we're in an inflationary nightmare scenario. Of course, it's not just oil. It's also natural gas. For the better part of a decade, we've had an oil and gas glut in this country. We were producing more of this stuff than we knew what to do with. Every time prices went up, the oil producers would spend a fortune on drilling, much more than they even had to spend, and new supply would push us right back down. Last year, though, these companies finally got religion. They stopped spending beyond their means. They got disciplined about keeping production low, and that's why their stocks have been on fire. Now they're no longer drilling like crazy with borrowed money. That means much less oil and much less natural gas, which comes to the surface when you drill for oil. So suddenly these fossil fuels are in short supply. We don't even have the pipeline infrastructure to get this stuff to where it's needed. Northeastern states have killed five pipelines in the last few years, which is why so much natural gas remains stuck in Ohio and western Pennsylvania. We can send it more easily overseas than we can to Boston. Long story short, when we see oil this high, we're now petrified by inflation worries. Meanwhile, there's been strong inflation for months, but nobody really cared until it started hitting gas prices. Of course, the flip side here is that if oil pulls back, the averages will roar. Again, while you see the bear mauling, you have to believe that the commodity indices won't won't hit all-time highs as they did today every single day. Don't extrapolate every negative trend. You wouldn't do it for the positives. Third problem with the market, tech is just out of this world bad for all kinds of reasons. Facebook's become a corporate pariah that can even keep its, can't even keep its own site running. I defended Facebook for its excellent work helping small business, and it's still doing that and doing a great job. But those leaked memos did take my breath away. Last week, I interviewed Salesforce Mark Benioff at a corporate governance conference I, I threw, and I asked him how he would fix Facebook if he had the chance. Benioff told me there's two, com- two kinds of companies, those who believe in the truth and those who believe in power. He thinks being a single source of truth is what matters and that safety should be paramount. Clearly, according to the memos, Facebook disagrees. Now, my charitable trust has owned the stock forever. We are up huge in this thing. But I think it's time to let Facebook go. There are better opportunities. So check your investing club bulletins for more. It'd be hard to part with it. I mean, I created Fang, and that was the F, but it's not just headline risk anymore. As for the rest of tech, it's seen tremendous profit-taking after tremendous ones. just profit-taking. And that's what just happens. There's nothing wrong but profit-taking. And you know why this is happening? As I said repeatedly, we've got too much supply. Lately, we've had a huge wave of IPOs, and most of these companies are about digitizing something or other. They've all started to blur together, which weighs down the entire tech edifice. Until the IPO market slows to a crawl, tech will remain under pressure. If deals get pulled, the good ones, like Salesforce, will come right back right back to life. But deals need to get pulled. Every day I come to work on the post nine in your, at NICE, every day I see more companies come public. Finally, there is Washington and the world. Washington's a nightmare. President Biden and his allies on the Hill seem incapable of pulling on anything off, don't they? From the debt ceiling extension to the infrastructure bill. The Chinese keep flying over Taiwan's airspace. No one's doing anything about it. Against all these is Merck's COVID bill. Against all of those. Oh, it's a good start. 
And getting COVID under control is incredibly important, even for inflation. I think as stocks come down, we could be due for an oversold bounce. Nothing like lower stock prices to make the market more attractive. Plus, if oil prices ever go down, all the averages will explode higher. Let me give you the bottom line. This market's already forgotten Friday's good news because of this. But, I mean, everyone suddenly realizes it's a tough market. I say tomorrow's a brand new day. Maybe we'll forget this ugly session, too. Nothing would shock me at this point. Now, we're about to get into one of my favorite parts of the show, and that's getting to talk to you, Quamerica. Last week, we launched an exciting initiative. It's called the CNBC Investing Club. This is an opportunity to get daily emails from yours truly. We sent a bunch today. You'll be able to see exactly how I'm investing in my travel trust and, yeah, like, for instance, sell them to Facebook. And, yes, I'll also tell you when I screw up and how it went wrong, like I bought some other stocks too soon. Total transparency. Join my mailing list by going to CNBC.com slash investing club or scan the QR code, which will take you right there. Clubskion Interactive, influenced by you. Let's hear what's on your mind. Let's go to Jack in Pennsylvania. Jack. Booyah from Allentown, Pennsylvania, Jim. How are you this evening? Well, I was in Allentown this weekend uh, on the way to the Eagles game and maybe uh, wish I'd stayed there, frankly. What's going on? Jim, I'd like to get your take on one of my favorite turnaround companies, and I think it's one of yours, too, GE. Um, Jim, what are your thoughts on the reverse stock split and also the purchase of BK Medical? Well, BK Medical shows they play office. Uh, reverse stock split, I wasn't sure whether that was necessarily the right thing to do. I know they felt they had too many shares. But I believe in Larry Culp. It's just it's going to take a long time because they need Boeing. They need aerospace. They need COVID under control. A lot of things they need. I think they'll get them, but not that quickly. How about Steve in New Jersey, please? Steve. Hey, how's it going, Jim? Oh, it's going okay, Steve. How about you? I'm holding tight. Yep. <laughs> I uh, have a question about my uh, well, Oracle. It's my single largest stock position. And you know, I've noticed that several um, um, analysts have slipped through the ratings or reduced their ratings. Right, right. So I thought maybe I can, you know, get... Uh, some input on this stuff. No, I, I don't. I happen to think that Oracle is incredibly well run. Uh, I don't think there's anything exciting. I don't think there's anything boring. I do prefer Dell over Oracle, but they've had a series of quarters that make me feel like Oracle is just doing quite well in the cloud and no one's talking about it. All right. Friday's good news. I already forgotten by the market. But tomorrow's a new day. Maybe they forget today's pain. Wouldn't shock me. These downside of democracy is really being with us. I say don't get too negative. That's a bear. That's a picture of a bear. Don't get too bearish. Oh, man, buddy, tonight, I was never, look, I was never an arch. Big Blue is gearing up for some big changes. I like that company. It's a year after the company announces breakup plans. I'm checking with the CEO of IBM. Get the latest on what these changes mean for the bottom line. Could a dash of McCormick maybe spice up your portfolio down 15%? I'd say so. But let's speak to the CEO on what's known as National Taco Day. And after its recent report, paychecks is rebounded to just blow its all-time highs. What a move it just had. I'm going to get a read on employment and the stock with the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or 
Give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. An ugly day for the average and a truly hideous day for tech. You know what held up just fine? The stock of IBM. Remember, Big Blue was in the process of breaking itself up. They're jettisoning some of these slow to no growth hardware businesses in order to double down on fast growing software businesses with a particular focus on the hybrid cloud and AI. Today, the company held an investor meeting where they outlined what IBM will look like post-breakup, laid out some very bullish long-term financial targets that we're going to hear about. Management thinks they can sustainably hit mid-single-digit revenue growth and at the same time generate $35 billion in free cash flow over the next three years. Meanwhile, the legacy managed infrastructure business will soon be spun off into a separate company called Kindrel. I'll tell you, if that's low enough, we might be interested in that too. I think this is a terrific story at IBM, but don't take it from me. Let's dig deeper with Arvind Krishna. He's the turnaround artist, chairman, and CEO of IBM. Mr. Krishna, welcome. Welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, it's always a pleasure to be here talking with you. Oh, thank you, Arvin. You know, a lot of people felt like you're either going to get maybe some low to mid single digit sales growth or you're going to get good cash flow and not that good growth. Or, you know, that no one believed you could do both. But you laid out some targets today that basically said it's not going to be difficult for you to hit both high growth and high cash flow. Yeah, that's right, Jim. So we talked about how we have spent a couple of years now optimizing our portfolio, and that portfolio is going to generate the mid-single-digit revenue growth sustainably, not just for one year, but for the next few years. And then we talked about how we're going to generate $35 billion of free cash flow cumulatively over the next three years, by the way, increasing each year. By the way, as you know, the free cash flow generates the investment power that helps fuel the revenue growth. The revenue growth generates the increased cash flow. So we are now in a virtuous cycle, finally. Well, this is what I, you know, I've been looking for. I knew you had the possibility of doing it. I also loved this whole theme about consulting to be the partner as opposed to be consulting to bring other consultants in or to not work hand in hand. The Delta example, I think, is a perfect, perfect paradigm for what you can talk about to our audience. Absolutely. So look, Jim, um, our role in consulting is to be the thought leader and to help our clients on their journey to hybrid cloud and AI. So in the Delta example you talked about, we had deep understanding of their application landscape. We knew how to bring hybrid cloud to unlock value for them all around, whether it's flights, crews, or passengers. Then as you go about moving, in their case, over 90% of their applications to cloud, the actual infrastructure will be Amazon Web Services, but on top of it is going to be Red Hat and Red Hat OpenShift. And I know you're a big fan of Red Hat, I think still, Jim. And then on top of that, IBM Software, Cloud Packs, all the work done by IBM Consulting. And if they need other applications from some of our partners, like Salesforce or Adobe, they'll bring those in as well. So really, uh, IBM Consulting becomes the lead in establishing their thought leadership and the business transformation with our clients together with all the technology skills they need to do the work. Well, you know I am a big fan of Red Hat. And one of the reasons I am is because in your presentation, you start talking about, I tell you, this is a new IBM, about your hyperscale partnerships, expanded partnerships with Microsoft and Amazon. Candidly, Armin, the old IBM would not mention those two companies. They are your partners. You work together. That, to me, says high growth all the way around. Congratulations on breaking the mold and recognizing you must partner with these guys in order to be able to please your clients. 
We have to. Look, IBM has made a long history out of working with whoever has got a strong footprint at our clients. If you think back to the, actually, even the mainframe gym, that was almost 50, 60 years ago. It really was a way to create an ecosystem of other hardware providers. You go back to eBusiness under Lou Gerstner. We really brought together with services all kinds of technologies that our clients needed, hardware, software, and in some cases, other business consulting partners like EY, as we mentioned here. But you got to recognize Microsoft and Amazon are going to be there. Let's add value to them as they bring value to us. And that becomes a flywheel of growth. Well, look, I've got to tell you, when I think about the hybrid cloud opportunity, to me, it is your largest. Uh, And I was always hoping that Red Hat would not be a bolt on. I was hoping that it would be the gateway. I think that if you talk about the hybrid cloud opportunity for IBM, people understand why you can have those targets and the targets aren't fanciful. Yeah. So look, so we make Red Hat at the heart of our platform-centric strategy. So as you call about the hybrid cloud platform, the heart of that platform is Red Hat. But for every client who wants, then there's another 3 to $5 of software that you get there. So you do the math, maybe 30% of the clients if they do that, then you get that share of that. There is a services opportunity, but services also brings in our partners, be it SAP, be it Salesforce, Adobe, etc. With software partnerships like Box and Palantir, amongst many others. So this ecosystem helps bring more revenue in, but through the platform and the multiplier effect, we get a lot more revenue. That's why we feel so comfortable about this. And as you pointed out, Jim, there's so many opportunities, be it around automation or a data fabric that goes across multiple clouds, again, playing to the hybrid theme that Red Hat brought to us. And in cybersecurity, which as we've talked about before, there's so much opportunity because of the sheer threat that the bad actors are bringing all of our clients. Well, look, I've got to tell you, I was very proud of what happened. Look, it was obviously a terrible day for the market, but you laid out a when you, I first met you, you said this could happen. Uh, a lot of people da- have doubted you. I am not a doubter. I am a believer. And this day really cemented that. I want to thank so much Arvin Christian, Chairman CEO of IBM. Bravo, sir. Great meeting. Thank you, Jim. Guys, this is a different IBM. And it's one that I think you'll like because it's got, it's got very good growth and lots of cash flow. I'm tired of just getting one without the other. We have money's back in. Coming up, can this stock be a tastemaker among seasoned investors? Kramer gets the secret ingredient from a company that could spice up your portfolio. Next. What are we all to do with the safety stocks, or maybe some say so, so-called safety stocks, that are getting steamrolled here because they're only recession-resistant and not in inflation-resistant. Take McCormick, the number one maker of spices and seasonings that got a huge boost during the lockdown last year. As the economy reopened, this stock became a house of pain. But it finally looked like McCormick had stabilized last month, even as the rest of the market was rolling over. Unfortunately, McCormick reported last week, although the results were good, sales were on fire. Management still had to cut their full-year earnings forecast, so the stock got hit 3% in response. The problem, you guessed it, higher raw costs. These material costs are so tough. Higher packaging costs, higher transportation costs. Now, if we 
we can solve our supply chain issues, if inflation proves to be transitory, then McCormick could be a terrific buy here. But can we? Let's take a closer look with Lawrence Curtius. He's the chairman and CEO of McCormick and Company. Learn more about the quarter and what he sees going forward. Mr. Curtius, welcome back to Mad Money. Hi, Jim. It's great to be here with you today on National Taco Day. Oh, I was going to. Uh, it's funny you mentioned that because I wanted to tell people and I have it written down. We were all joking with my staff that you started a very funny thing, which is to have people try to you know, mention that there was a chance to get the job. How many? Five thousand people immediately applied for the uh, uh, what to get to become the director of taco relations. That's right. We uh, <laughs> we had 5,000 applicants for a director of taco relations. It's our, our ambassador for all things taco. Uh, we announced uh, 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 Joe Luna today as the uh, as the successful candidate and have uh, have kicked off a campaign with her. You know, we got Jim, we got over 700 million social media impressions out of that campaign. Well, it is a brilliant campaign. Uh and we think that when we look at which part of the food group is where you want to be associated with, it's hot. And what goes what what does hot go on best? Tacos. So when it comes to the secular trends of food, you're right on top of them. Well, Jim, you know, flavor is really what consumers want today, especially younger consumers. And, you know, of course, uh, tacos are 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 almost a uh, ubiquitous uh, family favorite. Uh, Taco Tuesday is almost an institution, but uh, but you're absolutely right. You know, hot and spicy flavors are are very much on trend and what uh, consumers want today, and and are a big part of what's driving our growth. And the Cholula, it turns out already, there's an example of a brand. Everybody knew it, but they didn't have the heft. Uh, they just they, it's not they didn't have the management, but they didn't have the money. You're already translated to much better numbers than it had even two years ago. Well, you know, Jim, for hot sauce, um, you know, we targeted this as a growth category. We see hot sauce as like a liquid spice. And uh, and, and the category is growing tremendously. Uh, you know, at the current rate of growth, hot sauce will pass ketchup in a few years in terms of category size. And we just believe it's the condiment for the new generation. But we're the number one hot sauce manufacturer in the world today. Um, and w- with our Frank's brand, we're number one in the U.S. And now uh, Cholula, you know, since we've bought it, we've been able to build it up tremendously. Even It was already fast growing, but even faster now. And it's the number two brand in the U.S. today. Now, Cholula, what we're used to now at the Mexican restaurant that I run, we, we want more and more flavors, but they never really gave us what we wanted. It looks like that I can get the whole panoply from you. You know that the guests want many different, uh, many different styles of heat. It's not one size fits all for that business, and you get that. It is. And we've introduced a whole – we've got a whole range of Cholula flavors in addition to the original flavor – and uh, so they had some of them on the market already. You know, the formulas were, you know, needed some some uh, some adjustment because they had things in them that consumers don't want. That you know, clean flavor is one of our our specialties. So now we offer a range of uh, great tasting uh, varieties of Cholula uh, that all have uh, really clean labels, all fresh and natural ingredients. Now, uh, when I go to a convenience store, I just saw, for instance, last week I went to a convenience store and I got the uh, red hot goldfish. I mean, I've had goldfish forever, but the red hot goldfish was there. It was right on the you know, right there in the counter, and it was doing it to me. It, it's just like okay, I got to try that. It was delicious. That's it's something that didn't exist what a year, two years ago. You know, this is something you know, people think of us as uh, from uh, you know they know us from our hot uh, 
they know it's from a variety of spices and herbs on the on the uh, on the grocer shelf, but they forget there's a whole other side to our business, which is making the flavor systems for the rest of the consumer products industry, and indeed, you know, some of the you know the health and nutrition companies uh, as well. Yeah. And, uh, that Red Hot Goldfish was was right at the crossroads of that business. I was going to say, that, to me, just, it just popped. Now, at the same time, I'm not used to being on one of your conference calls where you talk about how you had a call with uh, Chairman Jerome Powell about whether where inflation is. How transitory is it when you see it? Because we all, uh, we all know your business is going to go great in good times and bad, but we just hate to see the earnings not be able to float, you know, the sales not flow down to the bottom line like it used to. You know, if I can just step back from the noise of the quarter, Jim, you know, if you look back to the pre-pandemic time to where we are today, we have grown sales, operating profit and earnings per share almost 20 percent versus the base year 2019 year to date. So we've had tremendous success as we've gone through the pandemic and we continue to grow. Um, You know, I think that differentiated growth is what we're, we're best known for, but we're also known as a consistent performer. You know, we're looking at unprecedented inflation, as all of industry is right now. And uh, and we're going to have to manage our way through this time of cost inflation, just as we have in the past. It's going to be a mix of price increases, unfortunately, and also cost, you know, cost uh, efficient effectiveness through our CCI program. At the same time, you continue to be very good at trying to get the zeitgeist. So uh, Tabitha Brown, joyful personality, health and witness focus, focus recipe. OK, that's fine. This is what I like. Your Caribbean inspired blend sold out in just 39 minutes. Once again, you've got something that if you could make much, much more of, you could bring it right to the bottom line. You know, uh, that is absolutely true. Uh, you know, and, and th- that's a great example in e-commerce. I mean, that was intended as a, a limited edition uh, recipe. Um, but uh, but it did set us it did allow us to set a record for e-commerce in in one day. But across right across our business right now, the supply chain is really our limiting factor. Demand is extraordinarily high for all of our products, both on the consumer side, the, the household brands that we were just talking about that people know and love, but also for our flavor solutions and, and flavor systems business. And the transportation and the logistics issues that just getting the product from point A to point B is our single limiting factor. It's right. not demand. Demand is incredible. Now, uh, last week I had a sustainability conference and uh, people asked me, well, how important is it to have a diverse board? And I just said, well, look, if McCormick had a board that represented the old way of all white people not knowing much, I don't think they would know any of the trends, the trends that are really driving things. And this is your company is a great example of the more diversified, the better the sales. You have to agree that that is part of the secret sauce, so to speak, of what McCormick does right. I think it's diversity up and down the, the whole company from the bottom to the to, to the top. You know, you called out our board and I think the, the board, you have to have an example at the top. You know, our board has 10 independent directors, you know, uh, two African-American, four women, a Latina, a North African. I mean, it is a very uh, diverse, uh, diverse board and, and sets the tone for for what we try to drive through the whole company, uh, the diverse insights. Bring, uh, bring better business results. That's just a fact. Well, look, I, I, these raw costs can't keep going up. That's never been the case. But the sales keep going up here, which is why it's stocked down 15%. Seems pretty darn interesting to me. Lawrence Curtis, CEO of McCormick and Company. Great to have you on the show. Jim, thanks for having me. Okay, guys, look, not everything goes up all once, all right? Sometimes you get a stock like this one down 15%. 
And you just buy it and you put it away, knowing that the sales are going to be great, but the raw cost can't keep going up. They do stop. Their money's back after the break. Coming up, when it comes to economic indicators, checks marks the spot. Kramer gets a peek at labor and more with paychecks next. Get a handle on the job market of this Friday's all important non farm payroll report? Easy. We talked to Kramer Fave Paychecks, the second largest payroll processor in America, with a big outsourced human resources division. It's doing so well as a kicker. The company has a terrific read on small and medium sized businesses, so it matters that when Paychecks reported last week, they shot the lights out. Boy, the analysts didn't expect this. These guys delivered magnificent top and bottom line beat while raising their full year forecast across the board. As a result, the stock shot up from 107 to 115. Now it's within spinning distance of its recent all time high. So, what does that mean for the broader economy? Economy. Let's check in with Marty Musi. He's the bankable president and CEO of Paychecks. You know, we've been behind this one the whole way to get a better read of the quarter and the labor market. Mr. Musi, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. Always good to be with you. Well, Marty, you, you got it. There's so many, uh, let's say, ironies this quarter for you. One is that we know that Delta has ravaged the Southeast. Southeast was incredibly strong for you. Number two is a lot of people would have felt that small business was doing poorly. The small businesses are doing unbelievably well. And then finally, I've got to tell you that we know we're supposed to not be able to find anybody to go to work. Maybe your digital automation has helped them, too. So you got a lot of different things working. They all came together this quarter, didn't they? They really did, Jim. You know, we had a fantastic quarter, 16% revenue growth, 41% adjusted earnings per share growth, really strong, great team at Paychecks that made it happen. But our clients really are rebounding. You're absolutely right. We've seen a lot more employees coming back, and you, our small business index will come out this month. What you're going to see is that while growth has slowed down a little bit for businesses under 50, it definitely is still strong, certainly strong, uh, strong almost as pre-pandemic. Is there a switch in where small businesses are? I think we all have experienced anything that goes wrong in our house, anything that we need, a garden, landscape. It's impossible to find someone. If we were to um, look at where the new businesses are, how many of them are in this kind of small, say, three to 10 person, maybe 20 person group of people that fix things up? Well, Jim, a great deal of them. And, and probably the biggest issue right now is there is great demand for those folks, but there is a shortage of people to be able to do that. But businesses are trying to find those people and continue to grow. But it is a high demand, and I think it's going to be for some time. Well, OK. Now, another thing that you are doing that makes it so that there are more people, uh, the, the people existing can do the job. And, uh, there's a great moment in the call. Uh, all these innovations, paychecks, pre-check, the retention insights, the pay benchmarking, the client dashboard, all these things that are leapfrogging the competition. Talk to us about this great assemblage that you put together. Yeah, Jim, you know, what we found is businesses, small and mid-sized businesses really need to be more efficient. That's their biggest issue right now on top of recruiting, of course, and retention of employees. And on the being efficient side, paycheck protection or paycheck pre-check is really to be able to compute the payroll, send a link by sm- smart speaker even out through Amazon or uh, Google or Siri and say to the person, hey, here's your check. It's coming up. Please confirm that it's correct or if you have any issue with it to let your employer know. It's making the employer much more efficient. On top of that, the recruiting need is so important. And we've created products that will digitally send information 
from the client to Indeed, the world's largest job posting site. When somebody applies, that automatically comes back and preloads into our system. So we've made it a lot more efficient and a lot easier for people to run their business and hire and retain employees. All right, if that's the case, there should be some surplus uh, labor out there. Where did everybody go, Marty? I mean, 10 million job. <laughs> I don't understand where people disappeared to. I think, Jim, you know, and you've talked about it on the show, I think there's a lot of early retirements. You know, when the pandemic hit, a lot of uh, the boomers tended to retire a little bit earlier. They came out of the workforce. There's more parents coming out of the workforce because of child care issues. And then there's just overall concerns with safety and getting back to work and whether they wear masks and whether there's mandates. I do think that as you see some things coming up now, the unemployment boost is over. Uh, but I think you're also going to see that the the uh, the moratorium on rent payments, that's going to come off or people have to pay their rent tuition payments. People have to get back to paying their their loans from school. I think you're going to see the employment continue to pick up over the uh, upcoming months. I was thrilled to see you are the number one 401k company. Could you give me some uh, view about what how you educate people? I think there are a lot of people who may not be covered by you in the same way that people weren't covered by the PPP by you didn't get the information you give. What are the kinds of insights you're giving to the 401k administrators? A lot of people feel very lost here. Well, we're really getting out there. We have a tremendous sales force uh, education of, of course, our marketing, our website to get out to say to people, to clients and employers and prospects, hey, if you have a retirement plan, it is a very strong benefit now. You know, compensation is one thing, but benefits are becoming even more important to hire in this really tight market. And so we're out there making sure that they understand not only our traditional 401k, but we have a pooled employer plan as well, where we become more the fiduciaries and make it a lot easier for the client to be able to handle a 401k and get it out to their clients. And again, all of this can be done digitally on our five-star mobile app. You can sign up for your 401k as an employee. You can change your deductions. You can see your balances. Everything's a lot easier today with our innovation. I also think that let's not leave out the thing that the millennials don't like talking to people, Marty. They sure seem to like talking to machines, though, don't they? Yeah. Yes, they, they do. And so, yeah. Sorry, Jim. So with well, everything on like the mobile app, it makes it so a, much simpler. You have an app. I mean, people are talking to Alexa now. I mean, all of the ones yep. you've lined up everything, haven't you? We really haven't. You know, we're the only business now, only payroll company out there, an HR company that can connects to all three of the of the assistant, the voice assistant platforms. And you can now that can give the client themselves. Uh, here's your task of things to do today. It can let the employee know, hey, your paycheck is ready. It's deposited in your account. Or, hey, do you want to make any changes to your 401k? Everybody wants to connect to their smart speaker or through their mobile app, and we've got it at Paychex. We're very proud of it. One last thing that I think the analysts have repeatedly missed is customer loyalty. You have, uh, from PPP, just a huge number of people, if you follow up with a question about getting the credit back, it looks like that these are people going to be with you for life. I really think so, Jim. We were really given an opportunity in a difficult time to show how much value we can really bring to our clients. And they were very excited by the fact that we helped over our clients get over $65 billion in PPP loans. We've also now reached almost $5 billion in employee retention tax credits. That is cash in the hand of our clients that can help them either hire or retain employees. It's really been important, and we're going through a whole pre-check of all of our clients to see how we can help them get those funds while they're still available through the end of this year. 
Well, you know, I mean, again, I always like this because I am a client of paychecks and uh, the, the job you guys do is terrific because it really is wall to wall coverage. And when we have a lot of things on our mind, a lot of things to do, we need paychecks so that we can focus on what we need to focus on. Marty Musi, president CEO of Paychecks. Congratulations on another great quarter. A big run the stock. Good to nice see you. Man, I'm going to be back after the break. Coming up, a storm is coming. So give us a call. Kramer's got the answers to all your burning questions. The lightning round is next. Before we start the lightning round, I want to be sure this is on your radar screen. Last week, we unveiled the CNBC Investing Club. It's a passion project of mine that I'm excited for you to be a part of. It means a lot to me. This is about educating, teaching, and recommending so that you can find an investment that suits you. I want you to think of us as a brokerage house if we don't want your commissions. We just want you to learn. That's what matters to me. It's always mattered to you. So make sure you're ready for tomorrow's pre-market newsletter by heading to CNBC.com slash investing club or scan the QR code, which will take you right there to sign up. And I hope you join me. And now it is time. It is time for the lightning round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Steve, Dad, have a lightning round. Let's go to Kelly in Illinois. Kelly. Yeah, booyah, Jim. Booyah. Road generation. It's uh, a company seems to be doing everything right, but the stock is like sucking quicksand. Well, you but- know, we recommend it in the teens. When it got to the 40s, we decided that was good enough. No more to it. And we have not looked back. Let's go to Richard in California. Richard. Good evening, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. I've got questions about Valet, symbol V-A-L-E. Look, I, look Iron Ore, I mean, this is, a, this is a company that is a tortured company that I don't want you to touch. It has too many environmental issues, and I think that the Chinese economy, which provides a lot of the, the, uh, of the buying, has cooled. Kevin in Massachusetts, Kevin! Big, big booyah, Jim. Massive booyah back at you. Rockstar. Hey, before I get to my equity, is Nvidia a German Shepherd? No, no, it's an it's an it's a, actually a, a cattle dog. Forty seven percent. It's an Australian cattle dog. But thank you for asking. I saw some Nvidia people in the street there. A guy in the street today, and he said, "Oh boy, I love you." And I said, "I love Nvidia right back." How can I help? My equity is Bio Nano Genomics. Oh, man. All right. Well, that's about as speculative speculative as you can get. Understand that that one could be cut in half and no one would care. That's really the problem. Vito in New Jersey. Vito. Hey, Jim. Booyah from East Brunswick. Oh, man. Good to have you on the show. What's going on? Long-time fan. I love your show. Listen, I'm calling about... Plug Tower, ticker symbol P-L-U-G. Okay, I love hydrogen. I was talking today at a staff meeting. We were talking about talking about the investment club. And I said, look, I am a huge believer in green hydrogen. Plug is the, is the most visible way to play it. A lot of positive news about it. I myself prefer the actual, well, duo. Oh boy, I bought it for them. But I prefer one thing and one thing only. I prefer Lindy. Why Lindy? Because they make the pro- they are the largest maker of hydrogen, and boy, do you ever eat a lot of hydrogen to have green hydrogen. Let's go to Richard in Washington. Richard! Oh, man. How are you, sir? What was it? How are you, sir? 
I am doing you? well. How about you? I'm great. Thank you. Thank you for asking, Mr. Kramer. Sir, I was talking about OTGN. Uh, sounds like it's a pretty solid company. It sounds like the, uh, I've seen them putting out high efficiency. Sounds like a win-win. It looks like a lot of countries are already signing up and wow. with OTGN. A lot of marbles there. Sound like a marble. I'm a little, you know, I, I want to do Richard Justice, but I couldn't really hear that. Oxygen, me too, COVID play? No, thank you. I'm a seller. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, crypto, fintech, and a generation's lingering scorn for big banks. Is Jamie Dimon the man to steer J.P. Morgan through these modern headwinds? Kramer makes the call. Next. Jamie Dimon, the CEO of J.P. Morgan, just came out swinging against cryptocurrencies in a new interview. And while he's right about some of the particulars, maybe he's missing some of the big picture. Before I get started, I agree with Dimon that cryptocurrencies have no intrinsic value and they're often used for nefarious purposes. I also agree that the whole space needs to be regulated. But this is a very big but. While Jamie Dimon's a great CEO, he doesn't have much credibility when it comes to financial innovation. He missed the whole square PayPal financial tech model, the latter being a favorite of my charitable trust for years. He dropped the ball on point-of-sale products that I think he could have dominated on, but so many businesses didn't want the hassle of working with the big bank, and he didn't seem to seek them out. He doesn't seem to understand the antipathy that younger Americans have towards banks in general, and the biggest banks in particular. In the scheme of things, that hasn't really mattered much to J.P. Morgan's stock, which hit a new intraday all-time high. Like I said, he is a great CEO, even if he dropped the ball in tech. He's done so many other things right. The thing is, I think he's dropping the ball again when it comes to crypto. He could be a standard setter right now, grabbing this bull by the horns. Why not? Sure, cryptocurrencies have no intrinsic value, but most younger investors are financial nihilists. They recognize that lots of things have no intrinsic value. That doesn't stop them from making money on them. Besides, no intrinsic value compared to what? The dollar? We've had a free-floating exchange rate since the 70s. This means the dollar's worth what people will pay for it. Exactly like Bitcoin or Ethereum. Point two, regulation. Look, I, I, I agree it needs to happen. I speak to every single cybersecurity company, and the whole industry is adamant that crypto is almost always used for ransomware payments. But I say, so what? That's the government's fault, not the crypto ecosystem's fault. Companies aren't allowed to pay ransoms according to federal law. If you want to stop ransomware payments, you just need to crack down on the businesses that break the law. That's how you regulate crypto. Plus, I think there's an amazing opportunity for any big bank that's willing to get in the game. Right now, we have these things called stable coins, which are like the money market funds of the crypto world. People use them to conduct transactions because the major cryptocurrencies are too volatile. The largest of these stable coins, Tether, actually got sanctioned by New York State, and the company behind it is no longer allowed to do business here. Tether's backed by tens of billions worth of commercial paper, and yet we have no visibility into what kind of commercial paper it is. Hey, it could be Chinese commercial paper, and maybe it's exposed to the Evergrande fiasco. We got no idea. We need a stable coin that's actually, well, um, a stable. How about that? Something issued by a trusted financial institution that's pegged directly to the dollar. This could be J.P. Morgan's moment. 
Of course, Jamie Dimon missed the square revolution because his younger staff didn't really bring it to his attention. Well, the same thing happened with crypto. He could own the entire market if he just said J.P. Morgan's going to make an honest, stable coin. It would be a monumentally gutsy move, one that would let him leapfrog over Coinbase and all the other crypto trading exchanges. To me, this is the single greatest opportunity in the banking universe, much better than what we get from PayPal or Visa or MasterCard, even as we own MasterCard for the charitable trust, which you can follow by just joining our new investment club. Yes, you can follow along with me. Hear exactly what I'm thinking. I'm so excited about this club, and I'm encouraging you all to join me on this investing journey. I want you to point your phone at this QR code, and away we go. Okay, America just got a lot bigger. I want you to be part of the action. I want you to know why I like MasterCard, why I like PayPal. Now, I know J.P. Morgan feels hostage to the regulators because of its deposit base. I say set up a separate division. Make sure that it's backed up by non-depository money and get to work. Taking over the stablecoin business could be momentous or it could be yet another missed opportunity. An all-time high is a great thing for a stock, but the valuation versus the rest of the market is still way too low. Because the bank needs to innovate and use its trusted brand to dominate crypto and become the banker of the next generation, too. It's Jamie Dimon's call. I'd like to say there's always a bull market summer. I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. Now. 